Chapter Four of the Poor Little Rich Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Umpleby. The Poor Little Rich Girl by Eleanor Gates. Chapter Four. It was a morning abounding in unexpected good fortune. For one thing, Miss Royal was indisposed, to an extent that was fully convincing, and was lying down, brows swathed by a towel, in her own room. For another, the bursting of a hot water-pipe on the same floor as the nursery required the prompt attention of a man in a greasy cap and Johnny Blake overalls, who, as he hammered and soldered and coupled lengths of piping with his wrench, discussed various grown-up topics in a loud voice with Jane thus levying on her attention. Miss Royal's temporary incapacity set aside the program of study usual to each forenoon, and Jane's suddenly aroused interest in plumbing made the cancelling of that day's writing lesson seem advisable. It was Thomas who telephoned the postponement, and Gwendolen found herself granted some little time to herself. But she was not playing any of the games she loved the absorbing pretend games with which she occupied herself on just such rare occasions. Her own pleasure, her own disappointment, too, these were entirely put aside in a concern touching weightier matters. Slippers upheld by a hassock, and slender pink-frocked figure bent across the edge of the schoolroom table, she had each elbow firmly planted on a page of the wide-open dictionary. At all times the volume was beguiling. This in spite of the fact that the square of blackboard always carried along its top, in glaring chalk, the irritating reminder, Use your dictionary. There was diversion in turning the leaves at random, blissfully ignoring the while any white list that might be inscribed down the whole of the board, to chance upon big, strange words. But the word she was now poring over was a small one. B-double-E, she spelled. B. A social honey-gathering insect. She pondered the definition with wrinkled forehead and worried eye. Social. The word seemed vaguely linked with that other word, society, which she had so fortunately overheard. But what of the remainder of that visitor's never-to-be-forgotten declaration of scorn? For the definition had absolutely nothing to say about any bonnet. She was shoving the pages forward with an impatient damp thumb in her search for bonnet when Thomas entered, slipping in around the edge of the hall door on soft foot, with a covert peak nursery ward that was designed to lend significance to his coming. His countenance, which on occasion could be so rigorously sober, was fairly askew with a smile. Gwendolen stood up straight on the hassock to look at him, and at first glance divined that something— probably in the nature of an edible, might be expected, for the breast pocket of his liveried coat bulged promisingly. "'Hello!' he saluted, tiptoeing genially across the room. "'Hello,' she returned noncommittally. Near the table he reached into the bulging pocket and drew out a small manila bag. The bag was partly open at the top. He tipped his head to direct one black eye upon its contents. "'Say, Miss Gwendolen,' he began, "'you like old Thomas, don't you?' 
Gwendolen's nostrils widened and quivered, receiving the tempting fragrance of fresh roasted peanuts. At the same time her eyes lit with glad surprise. Since her seventh anniversary, she had noted a vast change for the better in the attitude of Miss Royal, Thomas, and Jane. Where previous to the birthday, it had seemed the main purpose of the trio, if not the duty, to circumvent her at every turn, to which end each had a method that was unique. The first commanded, the second threatened. Thomas employed sarcasm or bribery. But now, this wave of thoughtfulness, generosity, and smooth speech, marking a very era in the history of the nursery, here was fresh evidence that it was continuing. Yet, was it not too good to last? Why, yes, she answered, more than half guessing that this time bribery was in the air. But the fragrant bag resolved itself into a friendly offering. Thomas let it drop to the table. Casting her last doubt aside, Gwendolen caught it up eagerly. Miss Royal never permitted her to eat peanuts, which lent to them all the charm of the forbidden. She cracked a pod, and fell to crunching merrily. "'And you wouldn't like to see me go away, would you now?' went on Thomas. Her mouth being crammed, she shook her head cordially. "'Ah, I thought so.' He tore the bag down the side so that she could more easily get at its store. Then, leaning down confidentially and pointing a teasing finger at her, "'Ha, ha! Who was it got caught spying yesterday?' The small jaws ceased grinding. She lifted her eyes. Their gray was suddenly clouded, remembering what, for a moment, her joy in the peanuts had blotted out. "'But I wasn't spying,' she denied earnestly. "'Then what was you doing? Still as mice behind them curtains!' The mist cleared, her face sunned over once more. "'I was waving at the nurse in the brick-house,' she explained. At that up went Thomas's head. His mouth opened. His ears grew red. "'The nurse in the brick-house,' he repeated softly. "'The one with the curly hair,' went on Gwendolen, cracking more pods. Thomas turned his face toward the side window of the schoolroom. Through it could be seen the chimneys of the brick-house. He smacked his lips. "'You like peanuts, too,' said Gwendolen. She proffered the bag. He ignored it. His face was dreamy. "'There's a fine Pomeranian at the brick-house,' he remarked. "'It was the first time I'd ever seen her,' said Gwendolen, with the nurse still in mind. "'Doesn't she smile nice?' Now Thomas waxed enthusiastic. "'And she's a lot prettier close to,' he declared, "'than she is with a street between. "'Ah, you ought!' That moment Jane entered, fairly darting in. "'Here!' she called sharply to Gwendolen. "'What are you eating?' "'Peanuts, Jane,' perfect frankness being the rule when concealment was not possible. Jane came over. "'And where'd you get em? she demanded, promptly seizing the bag as contraband. Thomas. Sudden suspicion flamed in Jane's red glance. Oh, you must have did Thomas a grand turn, she observed. Thomas shifted from foot to foot. I was, er, uh, um, just telling Miss Gwendolen, 
he winked significantly, that she wouldn't like to lose us. So, said Jane, still skeptical. Then to Gwendolen, after a moment's reflection. Let me close up your dictionary for you, Petty. Jane never likes to see one of your fine books lying open that way. It might put a strain on the back. Emboldened by that cooing tone, Gwendolen eyed the manila bag covetously. I didn't eat many, she asserted, gently argumentative. Oh, a peanut or two won't hurt you, lovey, answered Jane, kneeling to present the bag. Then, drawing the pink-frocked figure close, And you didn't tell him what those two ladies had to say. No, it was decisive. I told him about— I didn't ask her, interrupted Thomas. No, I talked about how she loves us, and of course she does. Jane, ain't it near twelve? But Gwendolen had no mind to be held as a tattler. I told him, she continued, husking peanuts busily, about the nursemaid at the brick house. Jane sat back. Ah! She flashed a glance at Thomas, still shifting about uneasily midway between table and door. Then, what about the nursemaid, dearie? It was Gwendolen's turn to wax enthusiastic. Oh, she has such sweet hair, she exclaimed, and she smiles nice. Jealousy hardened the freckled visage of the kneeling Jane. And she's taken with you, I suppose, said she. She threw me kisses, recounted Gwendolen, crunching happily the while. And, oh, Jane, some day may I go over to the brick house? Some day you may not. Gwendolen recognized the sudden change to belligerence, and, foreseeing a possible loss of the peanuts, commenced to eat more rapidly. Well, then, she persisted, she could come over here. Jane stared. What do you mean? she demanded crossly. And don't you go bothering your poor father and mother about this strange woman. Do you hear? But she takes care of a rich little girl. I know, cause there are bars on the basement windows, and Thomas says— Oh, come, broke in Thomas, urging Jane Hallward with a nervous jerk of the head. Ah! Now complete understanding brought Jane to her feet. She fixed Thomas with blazing eyes. And what does Thomas say, darling? Thomas waited. His ears were dead white. There's a Pomeranian at the brick house, went on Gwendolen, and the pretty nurse takes it out to walk, and— And Thomas is a-walkin' our palms at the same time. Jane was breathing hard. And he says she's lots prettier close, too. A bell rang sharply. Thomas sprang away. With a gurgle, Jane flounced after. The next moment Gwendolen, from the hassock, upon which she had settled in comfort, heard a wrangle of voices. First, Jane's shrill accusing. It was you put it into her head, to come and take my place from under me, and the food out of my very mouth, and break my heart. Next, Thomas's sonorous, Stuff and fiddlesticks! Then sounds of lamentation and the slamming of a door. The last peanut was eaten. As Gwendolen searched out some few remaining bits from the crevices of the bag, she shook her yellow hair hopelessly. Truly, there was no fathoming grown-ups. The morning which had begun so propitiously ended in gloom.
At the noon dinner, Thomas looked harassed. He had set the table for one. That single plate, as well as the empty armchair so popular with Jane, emphasized the infestivity. As for the heavy curtains at the side window, which, as near as Gwendolen could puzzle it out, were the cause of the late unpleasantness, these were closely drawn. Having already eaten heartily, Gwendolen had little appetite. Furthermore, again she was turning over and over the direful statements made concerning her parents. She employed the dinner hour in formulating a plan that was simple but daring one that would bring quick enlightenment concerning the things that worried. Miss Royal was still indisposed. Jane was locked in her own room, from which issued an occasional low bellow. When Thomas, too, was out of the way, gone pantryward with tray held aloft, she would carry it out. It called for no great amount of time, no searching of the dictionary. She would close all doors softly, then fly to the telephone, and call up her father. There were times when Thomas, as well as the two others, seemed to possess the power of divination, and during the whole of dinner his manner showed distinct apprehension. The meal concluded, even to the use of the finger-bowl, and all dishes disposed upon the tray, he hung about, puttering with the table, picking up crumbs and pins, dusting this article and that with a napkin, all the while working his lips with silent speech, and drawing down and lifting his black eyebrows menacingly. Meanwhile Gwendolen fretted, but found some small diversion in standing before the pier-glass, at which, between the shining rows of her teeth, she thrust out a tip of scarlet. She was thinking about the discussion anent tongues held by her mother and the two visitors. Seven, she murmured, and viewed the greater part of her own tongue thoughtfully. Seven. The afternoon was a French and music afternoon. Directly after dinner might be expected the Gallic teacher, undesired at any hour. Thomas puttered and frowned until a light tap announced her arrival, then quickly handed Gwendolen over to her company. Mademoiselle Dubois was short and spare and these defects she emphasized by means of a wide hat and a long feather boa. She led Gwendolen to the schoolroom. There she settled down in a low chair, opened a black reticule, took out a thick, closely written letter, and fell to reading. Gwendolen amused herself by experimenting with a boa, which she festooned now over one shoulder, now over the other. Mademoiselle, she began, what kind of a bird owned these feathers? "'Dear me, Miss Gwendolen,' chided Mademoiselle irritably. She spoke with much precision and only a slight accent. "'How you talk!' "'Talk! The word was a cue. Why not make certain inquiries of Mademoiselle?' "'But do little birds ever talk?' returned Gwendolen, undaunted. The boa was thin at one point. She tied a knot in it. "'And what little bird is it that tells things to—to to people?' Then, more to herself than to Mademoiselle, who was still deep in her letter, I shouldn't wonder if it wasn't the little bird that's in the cuckoo clock, though— Ma fille, exclaimed Mademoiselle. She seized an end of the boa and drew Gwendolen to her knee. You make the head buzz. Come. She reached for a book on the schoolroom table. Attendez. Mademoiselle, persisted Gwendolen, twining and untwining, 
"'If I do my French fast, will you tell me something? "'What does nouveau riche mean?' "'Nouveau riche,' said Mademoiselle, "'is not on this page. "'Attendez-vous!' Miss Brown followed Mademoiselle Dubois, the one coming upon the heels of the other, so that a loud crescendo from the nursery, announcing the arrival of the music-teacher, drowned the last paragraph of French. To Gwendolen, an interruption at any time was welcome. This day it was doubly so. She had learned nothing from Mademoiselle. But Miss Brown! She made toward the nursery, doing her newest dance-step. Miss Brown was stocky, with a firm tread and an eye of decision. As Gwendolen appeared, she was seated at the piano, her face raised, as if she were seeking out some spot on the ceiling, and her solid frame swaying from side to side in the ecstasy of performance. Up and down the keyboard of the instrument her plump hands galloped. Gwendolen paused beside the piano seat. The air was vibrant with melody. The lifted face, the rocking, the ardent touch, all these inspired hope. The gray eyes were wide with eagerness. Each corner of the rosy mouth was upturned. The resounding notes of a march ended with a bang. Miss Brown straightened, got to her feet, smiled down. That smile gave Gwendolen renewed encouragement. They were alone. She stood on tiptoe. Miss Brown, she began. Did you ever hear of a... a bee that some ladies carry in a... Miss Brown's smile of greeting went. Now, Gwendolen, she interrupted severely, are you going to begin your usual silly, silly questions? Gwendolen fell back a step. But I didn't ask you a silly question day before yesterday, she pled. I just wanted to know how anybody could call my German teacher Miss French. "'Take your place, if you please,' bade Miss Brown curtly. "'And don't waste my time.' She pointed a stubby finger at the piano seat. Gwendolen climbed up, her cheeks scarlet with wounded dignity, her breast heaving with a rancor she dared not express. "'Do I have to play that old piece?' she asked. "'You must,' with rising inflection. "'Up at Johnny Blake's it sounded nice, "'cause my mother—' "'Ready!' Miss Brown set the metronome to tick-tocking. Then she consulted a watch. Gwendolen raised one hand to her face and gulped. "'Come, come, put your fingers on the keys.' "'But my cheek itches.' "'Get your position, I say.' Gwendolen struck a spiritless chord. Miss Brown gone, Gwendolen sought the long window-seat, and curled among its cushions, at the side which commanded the best view of the general. Straight before that martial figure, on the bridle-path, a man with a dump-cart and a shaggy-footed horse was picking up leaves. He used a shovel, and each time he raised it to shoulder-height and emptied it into his cart, a few of the leaves went whirling away out of reach, like frightened butterflies. But she had no time to pretend anything of the kind. A new and better plan! This was what she must prepare. For, heart beating, hands trembling from haste, she had tried the telephone, and found it dead to every hello. But she was not discouraged. She was only balked. The talking bird, the bee her mother kept in a bonnet, her father's harness, and the candles that burned at both ends, 
if she had only known about them that evening of her seventh anniversary. Ignoring Miss Royal's oft-repeated lesson that nice girls do not ask questions, or worry father and mother, how easy it would have been to say, Father, what little bird tells things about you? And, Mother, have you really got a bee in your bonnet? But the questions could still be asked. She was balked only temporarily. She got down and crossed the room to the white and gold writing desk. Two photographs in silver frames stood upon it, flanking the rose-embossed calendar at either side. She took them down, one at a time, and looked at them earnestly. The first was of her mother, taken long, long ago, before Gwendolen was born. The oval face was delicately lovely and girlish, the mouth curved in a smile that was tender and sweet. The second photograph showed a clean-shaven, boyish young man in a rough business suit. This was her father, when he first came to the city. His lips were set together firmly, almost determinedly, but his face was unlined. His dark eyes were full of laughter. Despite all the well-remembered commands Miss Royal had issued, despite Jane's oft-repeated threats and Thomas's warnings, and putting aside, too, any thought of what punishment might follow her daring, Gwendolen now made a firm resolution to see at least one of her parents immediately and alone. As she set the photographs back in their places, she lifted each to kiss it. She kissed the smiling lips of the one, the laughing eyes of the other. End of chapter 4